1: Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast. Um, today we ha- have an old friend of mine who, I, who was one of my first fifty videos on this channel, um, Coach Laz Morgan. He is now the head football coach at Buffalo State University. How are you doing, my friend?
0: Coach Banstrom, I'm doing really good, man. Thanks for having me on today.
1: No problem. I tried to get you on earlier, and then there was health issues and family issues. Like it's it's been a, God, it's been a long month and a half. Um, but, I mean, before we get into any of that, um, how did you end up as the head football coach at Buffalo State University?
0: Uh, well, first of all, I'm blessed and honored to be here. Uh, it's funny how the world works. Um, I was defensive coordinator recently at SUNY Cortland, and when I was there, I had a chance to have a couple of conversations with the the former legendary coach Chair Jerry Boyce. His son actually uh, played for us at Cortland, so I would see him at tailgating – and we would talk briefly and he would talk about, you know, um, being a head coach and things like that. And I would just, you know, try to soak up the knowledge and things like that. And then he kind of got me thinking about, you know, maybe one day I wanted to be a head coach. I never really put it on my radar like that. Just kind of focused on building the defense and and doing what we can do to be one and all that week. And, um, as soon as the season was over, um, uh, opening came at Buffalo state. It happened to be the school that he used to coach at and be the athletic director at. And, um, I put my name in a hat and I was fortunate to get a couple of interviews and and did well enough on, the, on those interviews to get the opportunity to be offered the job. And when I came on campus, um, the feeling I got from the administration and the vibe from everybody I met and just being around um, the things on campus and the people I met, I just knew that this was a place I wanted to be.
1: Now, and we talked a little bit about this prior to hitting record, but I mean, you've spent virtually – I mean, I, it's actually, if I remember correctly, your whole college career coaching New York college football, what, what's different about New York college football or what stands out in your mind that people might not know? Because I mean, there's a lot of division three programs and there's obviously some good division one programs there too. Um, but I don't think many people, like I know it because I've talked to a lot of people there, but what, what, like for people, outsiders who maybe want to explore uh, New York college football, kind of, what is it like? What's different? What's, I mean, what's going on there?
0: I think um, division three football in the state of New York is some of the best in the country. And I think the reason that is, is because of, you know, if you look at New York state, you know, the college football landscape, you have the university of Syracuse, you have the university of Buffalo. If a student athlete is going to play college football and not get a full scholarship to either institution, they're going to end up playing division three football. So because of that, you know, the lack of a division two presence, I would say, I think there's only one division two school currently in the state of New York. You get a lot of athletes playing division through division three, who probably could play at a higher level, but just kind of got over overlooked or, or, you know, just because of the presence of they're not being a division two, you get some guys who could be a division two athlete playing division three football. So I think that makes the quality of football a very high level. You know, I look at some of the kids that, um, that I coach at some other schools and you look at them and they're, they're all Americans, they're players of the years. And I'm like, you definitely could have played at a higher level, but you slipped through the cracks and we're kind of glad that you did.
1: Now, now the next part is, I mean, I've had you on here once before and you talked cover three and variations. I got you on our state association clinic. What was it a year ago or two years ago? Ohio, than- yeah. One. Yes. And you did coverage variations with blitzes. Um, but I mean since we really truly really talked when you were at Alfred how have you evolved as a defensive coach obviously you're now a head coach too and you have a defensive coordinator on staff and all that but how philosophically have you evolved defensively if any
0: Well like there's always different challenges so when I was at Alfred University we kind <clears> of <throat> we kind of molded the players into our culture and they kind of they kind of absorbed it and a lot of those kids had been in that defensive system for 3 4 years so they kind of knew it They knew how to play to their. We knew how to play to their strengths. You know, one of our biggest things has always been to put the players first over the scheme. So we always think players, not plays, And that's always been very, very important to us. When I got to Cortland, I already had an inherited and established defense as far as veteran presence, a lot of seniors and juniors who had been taught a certain way. So the challenge was different at Cortland. It was, kind of making them relearn, and you know it's really harder to do the older you get because you are who you are you know your ways and especially when the bullets start flying you want to go back and revert back to something old so that was very very challenging but i was i was fortunate enough to get those guys at a great staff and i was fortunate enough to get those guys along with the staff to buy into what we were doing at alfred and then just kind of make minor tweaks to enhance it to fit different type of players so at the end of the day our system is always going to cater to our players And we're going to find out the things they can do well within what we do and highlight that on the football field. So I think the ultimate testament to that is the defensive system has been ran for five years. And within that five years, we've produced the conference player of the year four out of five years at two different places. So I think that that's a testament that you give us the players and we'll kind of find out what you do well and we'll highlight that within our defense. So it's not like, you know, we're not trying to force something that's not going to fit. You know, we're always going to And we're always going to cater to those guys, because at the end of the day, as a defensive coach, I always try to think about tackling and getting off blocks. That's what's important to me. And if our guys are always constantly thinking and trying to make adjustments, it's taken away from their ability to tackle and get off blocks. You know, offenses are doing a great job these days with pace, um, unbalanced formations, misdirection, RPOs, you name it, they're doing it. So everything's really, really challenging as a defensive player. So the last thing you want is your guys out there thinking like, well, if this happens, that happens, that happens. No, I want those guys to play fast so they can focus on getting off blocks and making tackles. So pretty much over the years, I've kind of simplified things even more because I just want to cater to who our best 11 to 15 guys are who can do those kind of things.
1: Okay. Now, and then the next part is, I mean, you mentioned a staff there. I mean, I, I kind of, I skimmed a little bit of your Buffalo State staff. Seems like you retained a lot of people. Um, what was your process as you came into Buffalo State? Is okay. I'm interviewing. I'm retaining certain people, interviewing them, and bringing in new people. What was your kind of process uh, for hiring a staff and making sure your staff aligns with what the vision you wanted at Buffalo State?
0: Well, the the number one thing for me was resetting the culture. So, I needed to put people around, around me who were in line and what I, was, what I want to build this program and the image that we want to build it. Um, after talking to some of the guys that were on the staff, like I knew Coach Tyrone Nichols throughout the way and through a mutual friend, and then Coach Chandler Williams, those guys were already around, Coach Bicker. I didn't want to gut the program inside out. We had some guys that were pretty close with a group of kids on the team who kind um, of embraced the values that we're trying to implement in the program. So I wanted to keep some people around, but then I thought it was also important to bring Coach Holden Whitehead with me because he is a guy that played for me and coached with me and kind of I knew was ready to take the helm with the defense. So that can allow me to focus to be a head coach and do what head coaching duties have to do. You know, I, I didn't want to always be that head coach that always oh, was a defensive guy, so he's going to be all with the defense. Knows so I want to show everybody love. So actually in the spring, I actually helped out more with the offense Gave Coach Whitehead an opportunity to grow with the defense and build that culture, and he's doing a really good job at that. And I helped out Coach Nichols with the offense, and then um, it was easy for me just watching how they interact with our kids and the way our kids looked up to them, respected them, and and showed that they showed that they really care about these kids and this thing's important to them. Those are the kind of coaches that I wanted around for our kids to see.
1: Now you you mentioned offense there, and that was the question I was going to ask you. Is I mean. You've spent your entire career coaching defense, essentially. What when you were looking at, okay, I, this is what I want my offensive staff to be. This is what our offensive philosophy has to be. How much of it is similar to necessarily your defensive philosophy of tackling and get off blocks? And so, so that's, I mean, you got two staples right there. How much is that? Is there like two staples for your offense? And then what were you kind of looking for from a philosophy and um, concept? basis
0: well for me you know i've been fortunate the last two places i were at alfred university we had one of the best russian offenses i've ever been a part of the way we ran the football the way coach rankle implemented that run game i learned a lot from him and then at Cortland, we had a coach fitzpatrick who did an excellent job one of the best off Offense coordinators or offensive minds in the country. So I learned a lot of past game thing from him and, and concepts in general and, and just the way he communicated with the quarterbacks. And then I've kind of put my own spin on it based on things that I've learned from places that I've been. But it is very similar. We like to keep things simple. I want to play a physical brand of football. You know, when people look at our football program, I want them to think about a physical football team. But we've got some guys on the outside who can, you know, take the t- top off the defense as well. So just marrying those two together, marrying concepts together that kind of. Allow us to teach off of each other, you know. Once again, allowing our best athletes to play because they're not thinking; they're just playing, getting out there playing fast. So we simplified some things, changed some things, kind of tweak some things, and I think that when people watch us play in the fall, we'll look like a completely different um, football team on both sides of the ball, and people will be able to notice some of the changes that we've
1: made. Now, now you, on top of that, you mentioned earlier you you didn't want to gut the program, okay? And I and I don't really think. I think, I think obviously, cause I mean, when you take over a situation that's not good and we've all been a part of that is, I mean, one, for, one, the first instinct is to get everything, but also the set thing is okay. It's really, instead of gutting it, you got to figure out what needs fixed. Um, and I, and I don't, and I don't ask head coaches this enough, especially ones that take over programs. What, when you were looking to reset your culture a lot of that, especially in college, but even in high school, the strength and conditioning program is 90% of that. I mean, you you listen to coach head coach after head coach is, I mean, their two biggest hires is usually all three. I'll, I'll, I'll do three. is a strength and conditioning coordinator, the coordinator on the opposite side of the ball, and your offensive line coach. Those are usually the three most important hires if we're just being honest with it. So we've kind of mentioned offense and defense already. What were you looking for in strength and conditioning? Because I've had a a chance to talk to a lot of strength and conditioning coaches lately. What was is your philosophy there? What are you kind of looking for? How much does that need a reset for you guys? Yeah,
0: I see what you did there, coach. You just dismissed the defensive coordinators. I saw. I saw <laughs> what you did there. But um, for me, um, when I observed the team in the weight room and I talked to the coaches that work directly in the weight room, I talked about we want to be more explosive, more functional things, uh, things yeah. that relate to football activities. We didn't just want to do lifts that are just lifting you know I used to always joke around and tell kids there's a long walk from the weight room to the football field and just lifting weights didn't make you a better football player now if you were a really good football player and you got stronger I thought that'd take you to the next level but just lifting weights and you couldn't move or you weren't flexible and you, your hips were stiff didn't make you a good football player so the stuff that we were doing or the stuff that we are doing is promoting us to be more flexible more explosive um, things of that nature. The weight room culture, um, that was one thing that really needed to be resetted. as far as everybody wearing school colors, everybody lifting in groups, guys taking leadership. Like that's, that's where our captains were kind of formed in the weight room with strength and conditioning. Guys that were taking leadership, guys that other guys would follow, guys that wanted to do extra, you know, want to do extra. And I, and, and I get it, you don't want to overtrain, but you want guys who are willing to do more and want to do more because they want to get better. That was kind of really, really important to me. And that's how I got to know a lot of our players, getting down in the weight room and seeing them lift and talking to them and just checking up on them. And that's how we worked on kind of building this relationship. You know, my biggest thing is our players need to understand that we really care about them. When they understand that we really care about them more than just them as a football player, now we can reach them and tap them in levels that they couldn't be reached before. Because now when you get after a kid, he knows you really care about him and you care about his well-being. So he's more receptive to those things. You know, if a kid doesn't feel like today's athlete, if he doesn't feel like you care about him as a human being, as a person, you try to get after them and they might shut down. And once they shut down, you've lost them. So our biggest thing is just kind of building this culture and this community where everybody understands that these are your brothers, these are your coaches. We're one big family. This is what we're going to do to take the next step. You know, I tell the kids all the time, you know, I hold up my hand. I've got all these individual fingers. They mean absolutely nothing. They're, they're actually weak if I poke you with them. But if we put them together and make a fist, now you got something powerful. And that's what we want our football program to be. But going back to what you asked originally, it started in the weight room, getting up at six in the morning, being accountable, six in the morning, seven in the morning, nobody late, everybody making sure everybody's working. You go in the weight room, everybody's shirt is sweating. I used to sometimes when i first started coaching i was a player there'd be some guys in the weight room who go through a session and and not sweat and it didn't it didn't make sense to me so our kids just getting after that and then another thing is like actually teaching them how to do the lifts properly you know we got a really really young team so a lot of kids you know they come in and they get caught up in in weight watching so watching the other guy how much weight he's putting up when it's like no no you just got to do the right form if you do the form the correct way the weight will come and just getting those kids to understand those things and then understanding how those exercises directly impact us on the football field. Once again, the functional exercises that will relate directly to football is really, really important for us in the weight room. Okay.
1: Now, um, on top of that, how much, both staff and player-wise, have you had to reteach, or uh, reteach is a bad word, but change or or instruct new ways of how to practice? How how much is I got I, again. I don't know New York's college football real well, but your spring stuff, and then kind of as you're going into the fall, prepping with your staff, how much change practice philosophy does there seem to be? Because obviously you retained a lot of guys, so there may be stuff they didn't do the year before. How much change has there been there practice wise?
0: Coach, everything's different. <laughs> everything's different. The practice shell is different. The way we practice was different. Uh, we were fortunate to have. Um, I think we had four padded practices this spring. We got to end up getting foreign. There were some physical practices, a lot of thud tempo, but you got to teach the kids these things. And this is why, you know, this is a part of the program getting to where it needs to be. So we have three different tempos in practice. We have buzz, we have thud, and we have live. We didn't do any live because we weren't in full pads. So we did buzz and thud. So when you go thud, you know, you hit, you run your feet, then you let them go, right? So what happens is it gets really competitive and thud almost becomes live. Guys are hitting the ground. Now it's on us to, to coach the tempos the right way, right? Because you thud, you hit, you want people to stay up on their feet. You don't want anybody going to the ground, right? But guys are playing so hard and guys are trying to prove that, coach, I belong here. A coach, I can do this. A coach, I can do that. So you have to teach the thud tempo the right way. Then when we, got, when we went buzz, which is helmets, you got guys tackling guys. No, 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 you can't do that. You know what I mean? So we had to teach that aspect as far as the different temples of practice. We had to teach guys, you know, our practices are very high tense. Everything you're doing is always moving from station to period. Everything's always constantly moving. So that's our condition in, in the sense of the way we practice. You know, our offense goes at a faster pace. Now they're ripping off more plays. We're flying around we're getting a lot of reps. That was a lot different than what they were doing before previously. So the shell, the time, the breakdown, the way we practice, everything is changed. So you have to coach everything. Literally, when you take over the program, you're doing everything from scratch, and you're not you're not assuming that they know anything because you want to try to mold the program as much as in the image that you want it to be. So if, if that's what the goal is, and that and that's what the plan is, you can't take any shortcuts. You got it's like day one, stance and start. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everything we've done with that with the program as far as practice weight room behavior and the way we do things um, in the classroom, off the field, all those things. You got to coach it like day one stance and start.
1: Okay. Another thing that popped in my head at, at kind of as you were talking is, I mean, I, I kind of learned this. And as, as much as you try to prepare to be a head coach, I mean, you're obviously never ready. But – and I could list probably 20 things that I didn't know were in the job description when I got hired. Better, and, and I think every school is different. I think that's the other thing I got phrased. phrase because something that might be common in our school is definitely not common at another. Like we were talking, we were helping paint our game field yesterday because for our seven on seven prep, haven't had helped help prep a game field in years. Uh, <laughs> it is where it is. Um, is there anything like, I mean, obviously college football is different, but over the past several months that you've taken over at Buffalo that you've kind of been like, oh, I didn't realize that was in the job description and that needed done.
0: Well, just like anything, you never know that you never know you're ready until you actually do it. It's like being a parent, you know, and I had my first son or my my sons after that. You, you're you nervous at first, but then once you get in and you're like, okay, I think I have an idea what I'm doing. Um, just that everybody wants you. You're getting pulled in every single direction and you don't have as much time. When I was a coordinator and a position coach, I would spend hours watching film and, and sitting down and and watching film with a player or a group of players or or things like that or game planning. I find it very, very hard during the normal workday hours to get those things done because I have to. I'm getting pulled in so many different directions for <laughs> administration things, or or meetings about this, or budget meetings, or departmental meetings. Those kind of things that I, that wasn't happening before. I mean, I knew it would, it would be coming, but um, still, you just can't prepare for it, you know. And just the logistical things like planning a training camp, planning a spring practice, you know. The only thing I had to do was get the practice shell and fill in my drills and, and talk to the defensive staff and tell them what I wanted to do before. Now I'm making the shells. Now I'm I'm making the training camp schedule. Now I'm making our camp schedule. Now I'm I'm coming up with the recruiting ideas and things like that. Like I'm those are things that you have to do. You know, when before as an assistant and a coordinator, you kind of took those for granted because you got to focus on more of the football aspect. So what I try to do is kind of do the same thing for my coordinators. Um in my position coaches is I take care of all, all the logistics and, and the meetings and all of that planning and organizational stuff so they can focus more on the football. You know, my biggest thing is I want to make sure that our players are like learning and being educated. So I take care of all that administrative stuff, whatever we need to do. And then I allow my assistants to coach football because that's what they do.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And then I mean, from, from a separate standpoint is again, you kind of you got hired this offseason. You brought in your staff. You're, you're delegating, obviously, responsibilities. You've worked with the offensive staff a lot more because obviously you've had somebody on the defensive staff. Um, but how, how in de- depth is in depth is probably a bad word, but um, have you broken out your delegation, your duties to your guys? Um, how much did you change duties for guys? How much have duties changed since you've been hired? Because you're like, okay, I hired him for this, but this, he seems to be better here. Um, and that includes even like special teams, because obviously it's it's hard to have a full-time dedicated, I mean, big college football has a special teams coordinator, and then like a special teams quality control coach and so, so forth. How have you been able to delegate not all those and change duties but also delegate your special team stuff as well. Yeah,
0: you know, like good leadership one-on-one, you want to empower other people, give them ownership. Um, When I got here, guys that I retained, I promoted Chandler Williams to special teams coordinator um, and got him a full-time position, you know, so he got compensated for the work that he was putting in. Um, I thought that was very important to me because special teams is huge for me. At the last school that I was at, um, at Cortland, our special teams were awesome. I mean, as a defensive guy, like, I never saw so many block kicks and, and so much field position that favored in our way because of how well we were on special teams. That's kind of like the culture I want to bring here. And I think he's definitely the guy to do that for me. So I thought that was very, very important. As far as the um, the offense and defense go, it's always funny because, like you mentioned before, I'm a defensive guy. So I'm helping the offense. But then when I see something on the field, I might grab a defensive player and pull him aside and talk to him and coach him up real quick or, or vice versa. So I find myself doing both because I want everybody to be better. I believe iron sharpens iron. But what I do is I, you know, I give them ideas or I tell them this is exactly what the vision I have. This is what I wanted to do. And then they get their hands dirty with the stuff. And then I come back in and kind of say, like, okay, I like that. Okay, you like that. And I don't really like that. But talk to me about why you like that so I have a better understanding. Because that could be the right way, but I just don't understand. And I want to know and I want to understand. So I want these guys to always feel like they have a voice. Because if they have a voice and they have ownership and if they have ownership, then I know that they're going to do their job exceptional and that's going to benefit the program, you know, so that's kind of, that's kind of my philosophy when I tag on it, you know, I try to split up time to have, you know, I'll tell our defense coordinator, I'm going to, you know, an hour set aside for you, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to catch up on in this hour, because I know that I got to go run the receiving meeting, you know what I mean, so. I kind of delegate that time, you know what I mean? And it's all working right now. Um, we'll be interested to see how it goes come to fall time.
1: Okay. Now, I'm curious because every every coach is different. There are some coaches who have, by May, have every practice in the fall planned out already to the detail. And I, I, I know that both from a college and a high school. In fact, I have a buddy of mine who's a high school head coach. By February, he's got every fall practice Laid out now. Obviously, things change. Others, it's it's not. I'm not gonna say it's by ear, but you're about a week or two ahead of schedule, and blah blah. How much? How much do you try to work ahead? Obviously, like the busing and the hoteling, that's all handled far ahead. With, but how much planning ahead do you try to do? I mean, from from a scouting standpoint, from a practice preparation standpoint, what is your what is your ideal I want to always try work three months out six months out. What is your kind of plan there?
0: well um you know um when I first got the job here recruitment was very heavy you know so we put a lot of our energy in recruiting so pretty much a month out of recruiting is when I kind of worked on a spring practice schedule but nothing was written in stone and good thing it wasn't because there was a shipment issue and we didn't get our helmets the first week we were supposed to practice, so I had to adjust that schedule. So you make a schedule. You always have a plan A, but be ready for a plan B. That's usually how it works. Um, as far as training camp schedule, like I just completed the training camp schedule about a week ago, and um, training camp will start in about August. August 10th is our check-in day. So that's about two months out. Going forward, I'll probably have it done a little earlier once I get the flow of things and understand how things are going around here. Um, you know, times of field availability and, and meeting room space and things like that when it comes to like game planning for an opponents never think ahead i mean there are opponents on our schedule that i'm familiar with offensively and defensively because i played against them when i was in the other conference in the empire a conference so i'm familiar with them but our main thing here is just going one and oh so we kind of focus on what's important of us so our first opponent is st john fisher i've been watching st john fisher film um but now st john fisher's got a new offensive coordinator so all the film i was watching before it's kind of you know um, it doesn't matter right at this point, but you watch it to kind of see their personnel and who's coming back potentially and things like that. Obviously, you don't know, but you just try to get some basic ideas. You know, St. John Fisher is not bringing back their offensive coordinator, but their defensive coordinator is coming back, so there should be some similarities there. So just seeing some things that um that they did on defense and things that we think that we could possibly take advantage of offensively. So I kind of I've been looking at some teams, watching some games, but when I Really been watching the games. It really has been more schematical. it's really been more just seeing how we played against them and seeing the areas that our team fell short. What was the problem? What were the issues? You know, there were there were games we outgained people here and we still didn't win the game. Well, what was the issue? Turnovers. We got to protect the program. You know, things like that. So when I'm watching a film of that, it's not like I'm game planning. I'm more just getting a feel for um, the identity of the team that was last year versus how different we are this year and things we can do differently. Um, as far as the field practice, I've got practices already scheduled for our in season because we have to make the schedule for field availability. So I have that done already. Like as far as the times, the practice shows will be similar. So we have a practice show that we used and, um, spring ball that we'll use in training camp that we'll use in the fall. So it's very, very similar. Um, cause the times are about the same.
1: Now you, you, you mentioned watching film and getting, just getting a feel of how you played and, maybe a little personnel there but uh, and and i should have probably piggyback this in earlier with um just your delegation stuff but obviously with changing of how you want to do things terminology has changed to a point um not necessarily maybe offensive philosophy terminology as much but definitely defensive loss terminology how like because you've got, I'm assuming you've had these conversations with your staff already as you guys kind of watch film and review your own stuff. How much have you changed how they break down or or what they because like obviously d three and high school use huddle, most of us, and what you have all the eighteen billion columns you can put in and add stuff in. How much have you overhauled that or had your staff overhaul that and how they approach stuff? I mean, obviously some things are are not going to change. Um, obviously you're going to name formations, Formate, does, the formation names are going to stay the same, but how much of the other stuff has kind of changed or evolved as you kind of start looking at people?
0: I'm laughing when you say formations. It's always like, I <laughs> laugh like football terminology. Like whenever I talk with somebody, I try to be as universal as possible because everybody calls something different. Um, with that being said, we've been working on universal language here for offense and defense. So we call all our formations the same thing. We call all our past concepts the same pass set uh concepts the way we label fronts we call them the same thing um we wanted universal language in our program so we did a lot of changing our coordinators got together talked about what columns they want um as far as game breakdown um you know information that you put data that you put in a huddle um i put my two senses into things that i want to see but um universal language is very important because we wanted our team to be one so when i say you know when i say to a defensive guy hey, a three by one When I say that same terminology to an offensive player, they know exactly what formation I'm talking about. You know, they know exactly what this is. When I say something like a curl slide concept, everybody knows what curl slide is because they know what the play is. So they'll, instead of saying curl slide, they'll say what their name of our play is. And they know that that's what that is. If I say four verts, they know what that is because they know what that play is. So it's universal language across the board. Whatever, what are the variations of cover three that our defense run? our offense calls those variations, the same exact one that defense calls it. So I've been in places where we called it one thing on defense and the offense called it something different. One of the big things that I want to do is have universal language. So yeah, it was a learning curve, but it actually it actually worked out a lot faster than you think um, as far as just coaches getting together and, and learning from each other and learning the terminology and then making sure it's uh, reciprocated, um, reciprocated, excuse me, on the field.
1: Hey, coach. Uh, that's, I mean, like I said, it's it's always, to your point, formations are always the...
0: <laughs> I always laugh at formations. It's just one whenever every... So I was, when I started coaching at Utica College, this was one thing. Then when I went to Alfred University, this was another thing. And then we changed it again. And then when I came to Cortland, changed it again. So it was just like the formation. So I've just learned over the years, like when you're talking ball, like just having universal language that everybody can relate to and things like that.
1: I like think the only thing that might be worse than formations is when you try to talk to somebody about mesh, because there's 80,000 versions of mesh. Like it, 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 it's like, it's not even like there's an air raid mesh and a non air raid mesh. It's air raid has 45 versions of mesh. And then the non mesh people have their own. Like, it's just. That's
0: it's funny. Like, I worked at, I worked at a place where the, the route tree was different and the personnel grouping was different. So personnel grouping you always go running backs, tight ends. That's traditionally where a lot of people have gone. But I worked at a place when they went um they went wide receivers. <laughs> wide receivers was the first number. You know what yep. I mean? So 10 personnel was 40 personnel. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was, I it was it's different, you know what I mean? But you just learn how to adapt and and you learn it. You you learn it. And and learning's never a bad thing. You know, never a bad thing to learn something new and and absorb it. And then once you learn it and you digest it, you decide if you want to utilize it or not.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree 100. Like I see, I think it's just funny when we we talk formations, mesh, a couple of those other plays. they are just there's 18,000 ways to run it, read it, line up. Just yeah, um, just and kind of. I mean, to start closing this up is I mean you may you mentioned earlier tackling and get off blocks, and I and obviously, I mean if if you if you ask me like the three hallmarks of, of like defense are tackling, getting off blocks and pursuit. I mean, like, that's just, that's just, if if you wanted to dumb down defense as much as humanly possible, that, that and probably being gap sound are probably the only, the gap sound probably the only other thing you add to that. But like that, if you want to play stupidly simple defense, at least be functional. That's where you start. How, when you are, and I'll start with tackling first, how do you guys start with tackling? Is it circuits? Is it the walkthrough? How do you approach tackling and teaching tackling at the college level?
0: Well, we like to uh, – tackling circuits. are always great. Uh, making sure our coaches are uh, implementing tackling stations or some type of tackling, drilling their individual. Um, so, like, when we look at a practice plan, each coach will put down their individual there so you can make sure, hey, like, listen, you need one block shedding, you need one tackling, you need one type of ball drill. You know what I mean? Like, those are mandatory every day, something like that. Um, but just putting a harp on it, the way you practice – um, like the different tempos. Like if your team wants to be really good at tackling, thud tempo was great because if you ever have to leave your feet to make a tackle, you're not in good form. You know, for the most part. So thud is going to promote good habits, hitting, running your feet, watching. You know, watching the weight transfer through the hips through a man. You know what I mean? You can get that in thud. Um, the tackling stations just re reinforcing good habits. You know, making sure head is up, making sure shooting arms, making sure running feet, making sure you got a power step. So just like you mentioned the the stations, the individual, the way you practice, just always having a finish. Any drill you do having a finish, whether it's with a ball or finishing a tackle, you know, those are things that promote good habits. You know, what's the saying? They say you don't want to do it. We don't want to keep practicing until we get it perfect. We want to keep practicing until we can't get it wrong. You know, and and that's kind of what we want to do. And you're never going to listen you're never going to be perfect at tackling, right? There are too many explosive athletes out there, but like you mentioned, we're big on leverage tackling. So if you teach the guys leverage tackling based on where you are on the defense, where you can and can't miss, and guys are pursuing to the football, you can be pretty damn good. Cause if he makes one person miss, here comes some other guys. And if you make him miss the right way, you'll be all right. So that kind of thing. And one of the big things that I've done since I've been here is we implement, um, um, circuits of tackling for the whole entire team so the whole entire team offensive players are included are learning basic tackling skills so that gets more offensive players on special teams and if there's a turnover or something that occurs you know we don't want those we want to protect the program but if it does happen we can get a guy down properly
1: okay that's the same then-
0: way we do that same thing we do with defense we'll do a ball security circuit for the whole team so defensive players are learning how to catch that's a skill that a lot of people don't have because yes. like I always tell the kids when they drop a ball or something, I, I can't press Y for you or triangle, whatever the button is. <laughs> don't. But they actually have to learn how to catch a football. And then once they catch it, ball security, securing it. You know, how many times you see a defensive player with a ball and he's holding it? You're like, Jesus, what are you doing? <laughs> like You oh, know yeah. what I mean? Like protect the program, protect the ball. Um, There was a game I remember a couple of years back, it might have been two, 2018 Yeah. We got a DB, got an interception. It was about second down in the in the red zone. He got an interception in the end zone. Now I want him to go down, but he comes out. And all he's got to do is run up the near sideline. He decides to cut it back because he thinks he can run a four, three. And when he cuts it back, he's holding that thing like a loaf of bread. Other team comes and punches it out. And they end up scoring, you know, um, when they got the ball back. And that, that made the game a lot closer. We were fortunate to win it. So, you know, it was a good teaching moment. But it was like, dude, ball security. Last thing you want to do is get an interception or a fumble recovery and then give it right back. So just teaching those kind of skills to the whole entire team.
1: And then the last part of that is what about your block construction? Is it, is it still very circuit-based? Is it very positional-based? How do you approach that?
0: Yeah, it's a, very, it's, a, it's a part of our fundamental stations. So we'll have tackling stations. We'll have turnover stations. Then we'll have fundamental stations. So it's kind of, it's kind of tied into the same thing. So we'll do some drills as a group. Because I want everybody to be universal. You know, I want the D-line, the D-backs, and the linebackers to understand when we say strike, what do we mean and what are we aiming for? How do we want our hands? What do we want our hand placement? When we tell you to attack half a man, I want everybody to understand what exactly that means that's playing on the defense. Once again, universal language throughout the program, universal language throughout your side of the football, I think is very beneficial because it's easy to teach upon layers, right? And, and layer teaching, I think, is, is very, very um, useful. You know, and I think the kids kind of learn a lot faster or a faster pace when you do that because they can think of something like in comparison to like, oh, this is just like that. I can do that. You know, so when I'm teaching a DB to get off half a man or attack half a man on a wide receiver, it's no different than if we called a, a corner blitz or our safety came off the edge. And I'm, I'm describing to him when he's attacking the tackle, how he wants to attack half the man on the tackle. Even though that's an offensive lineman versus a wide receiver, he still understands the same kind of terminology because it's consistent throughout our program okay
1: well coach i appreciate you coming on uh coaches uh his twitter will uh will be in the bio give him a follow uh give um, buffalo state football a follow um look we're looking forward to the good things they are going to do this year uh like share subscribe uh check out the sponsors below um and then that was in our episode of the gap down backer podcast